0: First of all, I'm not Jim. You think if Jim's here, why isn't he preaching? I agree. <laughs> um, he's been working on something. Uh, a few things to get to clarify before we really get started. I had told Marsha that the word was alien. For the kids, the word was alien. But I'm not going to use the word alien except for the few times I've just used the word alien. <laughs> I'm going to use the word aliens a lot. So, kids, you can use alien or aliens. Okay? All right, that'll keep busy, really busy. The other thing is I chose the title to those who reside as aliens, and we do have some people in our church that have kind of an irrational fear of aliens, Um, one of them in particular, and she's here today, Taryn, and so she has a fear of E.T., and I just, I, yeah, E.T., and so it's nothing to do with that type of alien, okay? You can stay. Uh, last time I preached behind me here in the gymnasium, we were sitting on the bleachers. I wasn't, but uh, you guys were sitting on the bleachers. And I got one, just so you remember that, I got one compliment from that message. And it was along the lines of, hey, that was short. So <laughs> let's, thanks, Barb. And so we'll get, uh, we'll get started right away. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're still in 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't know if it'll be short or not. There's a clock up here, I noticed. I will ignore. First Peter 1, we'll read verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Let's pray together. Father, we are here grateful for your word. There's so much that I want to ask of you, and uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would you would make these people changed through the hearing of your word. I pray that uh, you would use me somehow uh, in in that process, but that you wouldn't let me get in the way of it. Lord, I, I just pray that your word would be clearly understood and heeded. Acted on in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so our goal for today is to we're going to continue our study of 1 Peter. The goal is to understand a couple of terms. Uh, the, specifically, the terms are reside as aliens, those who reside as aliens, and scattered. There are three words that are used to describe Peter's reader. Peter's readers. That's hard to say fast. We looked at the first one last time, that was chosen. Okay, and In the original language, the words are right next to each other. Chosen. Those who reside as aliens, there's other different translation choices, and exi- and scattered. okay, Chosen, those who reside as aliens and scattered. And we did a fairly thorough uh, exposition of chosen, and chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father last time. Understanding these three terms is really foundational to this letter. It's foundational to understanding the rest of the epistle. It's, it gives us our identity as believers. We are chosen, we reside as aliens, and we are scattered. And all of that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay, So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. These words are not here by accident. A lot of times we uh, we read the greetings and we kind of read through them as if they're perfunctory greetings. They're not, especially uh, not this one. We have to understand these words. So the, the second word after chosen, the second word that's translated those who reside as aliens in your Bible, maybe it's translated as exiles or sojourners or strangers or pilgrims. It's peraepidemoi. I won't try to say Greek anymore today. Uh, yeah, I went one more time, but it's an actually easy one. Uh, this is an interesting word. It, it has the idea of both closeness and separateness. It means to reside, to live closely among and upon with a people. And that people is not your people. You're not part of that people, but you reside closely with them. as that para, like paraclete living, uh, coming alongside, and epi, upon. And the demoi is the public, the people. All right. So there's an idea both of closeness, closeness and separateness. We're to live with them, but we're not of them. We're to be close to them, but we're not them. There's a sense in which we're not part of their community. Okay? And we're going to be fleshing that out. Uh, anytime there are multiple translation choices, you know that it is a word that is somewhat difficult to translate. And so it's good to maybe look at some different translations and get a better idea of kind of overall what the meaning of the word might be. So those who reside as aliens, that's what I'm going to use, because I, I think it, it serves well. Exiles, sojourners, strangers, uh, pilgrims, living as foreigners, temporary residents. These are all translation choices. And So you get the idea, right? Residing as aliens. There's two sides to it, closeness and the separateness. Okay? Residing as aliens. There I, there's three usages of the word. I want to just read you the other two real quick. This will help us understand the word. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, it says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, there it's translated strangers, aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And in Peter, Peter uses Gentiles to mean unbelievers in the book of 1 Peter. So keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. It implies that there is behavior among the Gentiles, there is interaction with unbelievers, but that it must be excellent, must somehow be distinct from the normal behavior of unbelievers. Okay? So there's closeness and separateness. The other usage is in Hebrews eleven. Uh these this is verses thirteen through sixteen. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read this. You can if you want, it's your Bible. Uh <laughs> all these died in faith. This is after the Hall of Faith. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles, exiles here is this word, on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Alright? I hope you can see from that. Those who reside as aliens, yes, we live here but as aliens. We desire a better country, a heavenly one. This is not our country. Okay? This is not ultimately our country. Our country is a heavenly country. Okay, so that's us. We reside here as aliens. We reside here. Duh, right? You were born here on this planet. I think everybody. You're born here. In all likelihood, you're going to, you're going to die here. And everything that happens in between is going to happen here. Everything that happens to us happens here. Uh, All of our sorrows, all all of our joys, all the good things, bad things, the the holidays, the the fun, the, the, the illness and the injury and the pain. It all happens here. Our spouses are from here. Our friends are from here. Our kids are from here. We reside here. We reside here as much as anybody else resides here. We reside here. But we reside here as aliens. We're strangers. We're foreigners here. This, this is not home. This isn't home to us. As much as we love it here, we love life here, it's a strange place to us, right? It ought to be. It's not home. This place has to change to be home for us. And it will. As it is today, it's not home. Our home is in heaven. We we long for heaven, our better country, the city that's prepared for us. So if that's true, there ought to be times when the inhabitants of this strange land, the people for whom this is their home, seem strange to us. There ought to be times when you see the way of thinking of the world, like Jim has been going through in Ecclesiastes, and you just think that is just strange. Where do they come up with these ideas that gender is just something you can decide on where do they come up with these ideas that this is okay and that's okay where how do they even justify the killing of an unborn child how do they how do they i don't understand how they think that ought to be that ought to come to you strange it's strange this place is weird and you ought to be strange to them there ought to be times when your ways of thinking and acting and what you will do and what you won't do what you say is strange they don't get you it's even offensive and repulsive. Okay? That 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 ought to be true if we are aliens. There's real differences between sheep and goats. I don't know what they are. Uh, Diane could tell you. I don't. I don't. One's got the obvious wool, but other than that, I don't know what the differences are. They sound a lot alike. But there are differences, scripturally, spiritually speaking, between sheep and goats. Right? Very clearly, unbelievers and believers. There's differences between us. If you're never uncomfortable with the world, you're never uncomfortable around unbelievers and you never made them uncomfortable, you might be one of them. Alright, so you, we had to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Okay? And maybe you are, but maybe you've just left behind the Word of God to such a degree that you're no longer distinct. You're no longer separate. Okay? There's no sense in which you're visibly different. We the chosen reside as aliens. The third term is scattered. It's the word diaspora. Dispersion. Just means something that's scattered. Something's no longer together. It's scattered. Like when you throw ice melt or grass seed, you know, you scatter it. That's, that's just what the word means. Scattering. Easy to understand. And it really just helps with the idea of being those who reside as aliens. We reside as aliens and we're scattered in and among those who do not reside as aliens, in and among those who are not elect, in and among unbelievers. Right? It's easy. Now here's the hard part. This is all according to the foreknowledge of God. And you may have a translation that has separated that out a little bit, and makes it look like according to the foreknowledge of God applies only to the term chosen. But that's not true. In the original language, it goes Peter, Apostle of Jesus Christ, chosen; those who reside as exile those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout. The, then it gives the place names. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay, so all three terms are according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Remember what foreknowledge is. It's God knowing us and having relationship with us in eternity past before we've been born or done anything good or bad. He had established that He would have a special relationship with you as a believer. All right? So according to that foreknowledge, He chose you. He chose you for salvation. He also determined that you would reside as aliens in a world that is weird and doesn't understand you, with people whose who's thinking is vain and futile, okay? he's determined that. And he determined we would be scattered in and among them. Okay? We are not to live in separate communities of believers only. That's not biblical. We're to live in and among them. We are to reside among them as aliens. So we're to live closely with unbelievers, but not too close. Right, we know that. We the scripture reading this morning, we're not to be yoked together with unbelievers. We're not to be bound to them. We wouldn't purposely choose an unbelieving spouse. That wouldn't make any sense. We wouldn't choose a best friend who's an unbeliever. In some cases, you might not have a business partner who's an unbeliever, a close partner. All right, so we're to be among them, but not too close to them. And God has chosen in eternity past to put us on this sinker's planet for a specific number of years and to live among people whose thinking is different from ours, whose ways of living are different, We reside as aliens. All right, so that's fine. You see that it calls for balance, right? We reside as aliens. We want to be close, but not too close. So where do we draw that line? So I'm going to spend most of the rest of this time trying to draw that line, and then we'll look at some specific application at the end. So I have to be really clear on this. Some of you are kind of steeped in church history. I'm not I'm not weighing in on evangelicalism and fundamentalism. I'm just going to teach the biblical doctrine of separation. So first of all, there is a biblical doctrine of separation. Right? There is. Jim read this morning. Go out from them. Be separate. We're, we're called to be separate. We're not to be yoked together with unbelievers. There's actually a doctrine of separation that applies to three distinct groups of people. And I want to look at all of them. It's separation from unbelievers that is relevant to what we're doing in 1 Peter, so don't lose that, but we have to look at how the Bible tells us to separate from two other groups. I think it'll help clarify the call for separation from unbelievers. So first of all, we're told to be separate from false teachers, right? The, the classic uh, passage, Galatians 1, 8, 9, there are others, I just don't want to, I want to get that compliment at the end, so <laughs> that's my goal, Uh these chairs are softer, so maybe a little longer. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preached to you, he is to be accursed. And then Paul repeats it as we said before, so I say I again now. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he's to be accursed. And we make that sound maybe a little nicer than it is. Paul saying they go to hell. That's what he's saying. They're damned. Let them be damned for eternity. Okay? Pretty serious. This is the most extreme form of separation. We're, we're not to have any contact whatsoever with somebody who propagated a false, a false gospel, except to contradict them, to oppose them. Okay? The kind of work Justin does. All right? We all ought to be involved in that. We ought to publicly identify and try to destroy the notions, the, the false ideas of somebody who's a heretic. Okay? And I had a long list, but I'm not going to go through the list. You know who these people are. Now, it doesn't mean, I hope you know who these people are. I shouldn't say that. I'm still not going to go through the list. The list is too long. You could do this forever. There's lots of false teachers, right? Heretics and heresiarchs, those who have started their own heretical movements. And so we oppose them. Now, we will pray for the salvation of living heretics. Of course. I would love it if Benny Hinn... Benny Hinn went on TV and he said, you know what? I have been preaching a false word of faith gospel and I repent of that. I have been taking advantage of desperate people with fake healings for my own financial benefit and I repent of that. I'm going to do whatever I can to make it right. I'm going to sell all my homes and my jets and my suits and my prayer cloths and my anointing oils. I'm going to sell all that stuff and I'm going to give the money to people who need it. I'm going to give it to a hospital. I'm going to I'm gonna make it right because I've authentically repented of my faith, of my sin. I put my faith in the genuine Christ of the Bible. Wouldn't we love that? Until that happens, I pray for His destruction. Right? I pray for His repentance and His salvation or His destruction. He's gotta stop. Right? And that's appropriate. That's a very severe form of separation. All, all, our only interaction with false teachers is to be opposition. Okay. That's one type. Another type that's pretty severe is unrepentant professors, and I don't mean college professors, but people who profess Christ. So somebody who's professed faith in Christ, but they're engaged in open sin and they're, they don't repent of that. There's a degree of separation that's very severe. That's the Matthew 18 discipline process. If it gets to the point, to the final stage where they are shunned, they are excommunicated. We no longer have contact with them. This is 1 Corinthians 5.11. I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother who's an immoral person, or covetous, or idolater, or reviler, or drunkard, or swindler. Not even eat with such a one. So somebody who claims to be a brother is immoral, will not even to eat with them, not have anything to do with them. And we're to separate ourselves from them. But what's the goal? It's their repentance, their restoration. If they are in fact a believer, we, we want to do what Paul calls heading them over to Satan. We want, we want them to suffer. We want them to leave the protection of the church. Leave the, leave the grace that comes from being part of the church. And to be out there and in God's crosshairs so that he can teach them not to blaspheme. Right? It may involve actual physical suffering. Right? Something that will get their attention and drive them back to the Lord. That's the goal, restoration. Right? And, and what a wonderful thing that would be if somebody comes back and is restored to community. And if, they're, if they don't repent, then church discipline serves another purpose. It protects the purity of the church. It's a declaration before the rest of the body and to unbelievers and to the angels that that kind of behavior is not consistent with somebody who professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to protect the church. We're going to faithfully follow the steps of Matthew 18. Okay? Nothing to do with them. On a a practical side, we could talk about that a lot. It's difficult to do in a small town. It's a, how do we know how to do this when this person shows up to this or that? What the Bible says is to have nothing to do with them. No interaction with them. Okay? Other than to talk about the sin, to desire their repentance. Okay? If they're an unbeliever, maybe they'll come to faith in Christ. Okay? Those would be the goals. So that kind of separation, very severe. We're also told to be separate from unbelievers. Uh, Jim read, we're to be, we're, we're to come out of them and be separate, come away from them. Uh, I don't want to read all these verses. We're told in, in 1 John to avoid the love of the world. This is, uh, this is First John three one. The world does not know us because it did not know Him. Remember Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world. but be transformed. How do we are to be separate from the world and from unbelievers. There's a separation there. Okay? We're to live as aliens, scattered among them, but living as aliens. But it's a mistake to think that the degree of separation from unbelievers is the same as the degree of separation from, say, a false teacher or from a professing believer who's engaged in sin. Okay, We can't... We can't, and not, not to have that same degree of separation. It's different. Residing as aliens among unbelievers is not like that. We don't shun them completely. Okay? It's, a, it's more of a spiritual, emotional distance. We do not accept or approve of their ways of living and thinking, but we still interact with them as neighbors and friends, and co-workers, whatever. Okay? I'm going to read you a little more of the context of 1 Corinthians 5. I read you 5.11. This is 9 through 11. I think this will make this clear. I wrote you in my letter. This is 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother who is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even eat with such a one. Okay. So the separation from a professing believer who lives in sin is severe. Much more severe than with an unbeliever who is also living in sin, because that's all they can do, they're slaves to sin. But we are to associate with them. We have some association, although we maintain our separateness. Okay? Okay, so just summarize this, residing as aliens, we have to be close to them, that's what that residing means, close to them, but as aliens, we have to be separate from them. See, it calls for balance, okay? It's not as severe, uh, The a false teacher, there's no call for balance. We know what to do there. Somebody who's professing to be a believer is in sin, there's no balance. But with unbelievers, there is. You have to have a balance. So let's see what that balance is. Right now, some of you are thinking, why is again isn't Jim preaching today? When is Justin preaching? Uh, so I want to talk to you about two ditches, so we'll see where that balance should be. So the first ditch is to separate yourself completely. Man, right? you separate yourself completely from the world. Now, you're familiar with this. It's creating unbiblical rules, uh, things we're going to do to show that we're separate from the world. We're not like them. We don't do this. We're separate. Uh, the world zigs, we're gonna zag. Whatever the world does, we're just, we're gonna do the opposite. We're gonna show that we're separate. Uh, the church motto, us four, no more, shut the door, right? Heard that? That's, we don't want anything to do with the world. Uh, the rule for practice, we don't, we don't dance, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with girls who do. You've heard that. I real short website. Well they wouldn't have a website. Well the world has a website. So I'm gonna give you some examples. I've I've been I, I've had wonderful, authentic Christian friends who have fallen into this ditch. Doesn't make them heretics, just makes them wrong. They've fallen into the ditch. And I'm gonna give you some of the things that I've picked up from those conversations, some of the do's and don'ts. Now I wanna be careful. None of these came from any of you. All right. I could have done them from you or from me. I could have, but I. this is not. So none of these are that I got from you. So if you believe these things, don't think I'm talking about you because I don't remember if you ever said this to me. Okay. Christian men should not wear beards. <laughs> now you know why Jim's not preaching today. All right. And the, why is that? Because Christian men wear beards or non-Christian men wear beards. Because non-Christian men wear beards, Christian men shouldn't. Uh, I think the same applied to women, but it's never come up. (laughs) Speaking of women, women, just to avoid, to to maintain distinction from the world, women should always wear dresses and skirts. Right? You may have heard that. Um, What about uh, places? Christians could never enter a bar for any reason. Uh, a Christian should not go to a movie theater. A Christian shouldn't go to a movie theater. Even if it's a, a movie that's perfectly fine to watch at home, a Christian shouldn't go into a movie theater because that's a worldly place. Uh, a Christian shouldn't go to a bowling alley. I kid you not. A Christian should not go to a bowling alley. Historically, bowling alleys, I guess, were places where you would drink and smoke and chew. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but... They were historically places that, like bars, I guess. So that's the idea: is just maintaining that separation. Uh, Christians should avoid alcohol altogether. Should never use alcohol. Uh, shouldn't smoke. Christians should avoid secular music altogether. Should avoid Christian music that sounds like secular music. Right. Uh, no dancing, of course. All this, all these rules, and and they're unbiblical rules, okay? All these unbiblical rules, they are designed to avoid looking like the world. They're designed to demonstrate separation from the world. Well-intentioned, but misguided. Okay, It's a laudable goal, though. We ought to seek appropriate biblical separation. We ought to seek distinction. We ought to expect distinction. Right? But here's the secret. It's really simple. So this is super simple. It's not easy to do, but it's simple. There's no complexity or nuance to this. Obey the teachings of Scripture. Obey the clear commands of Scripture. Obey scriptural principles. You're going to be separate. You will be distinct. Okay? That necessarily will imply distinction. But remember the Israelites, they had laws of Moses. If they would have obeyed the laws of Moses, it would have marked them as distinct and, and made them effective witnesses of the God of Jacob. Same way with us. We have biblical commands and principles. If we follow those, it will mark us as distinct followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? We don't need any other rules. This is 1 Peter 4, 3-4. through This is what Peter says about it. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of, of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. You're obeying the scripture, you're obeying the Lord, and they are surprised, and they malign you. Okay, That obedience to scripture will imply distinction. All right? You can enjoy the gifts of God, use as directed. Right? They're given to us to be used as directed. We can go bowling if we want to go bowling, but we're not going to get drunk at the bowling alley, and we're not going to approve of people getting drunk at the bowling alley. We're not going to swear. We're not going to do. We're not going to sin at the bowling alley. Right? That's our distinction. We follow biblical commands and scriptural principles. Right? Our mere unwillingness to abuse the gifts will mark us as separate. Well, what's the problem with that approach, though? I mean, what's the problem really with just trying to be separate, like creating these things and just trying to be separate? What's really wrong with that? I mean, what's the problem? Well, first of all, you're doing something unbiblical, so that should be enough. Uh, but in a, in a practical matter, you're leaving the harvest field. If, if you start to, s- to separate yourself from that way, to always want to be separate, you're going to start seeing the unbelieving world as an enemy. Rather than as a mission field, right? You have to interact with them. Look, we exist to glorify God. One of the, one of the greatest things is I'm able to ask my Sunday school kids, why does this happen? And they all always know the answer. And it's really important that we know that answer. To glorify God. That's always the ultimate answer. That's why we exist. How do we do it? The main thing we, the main way we glorify God on this planet as believers, we share the gospel with other people. So, lots of ways to share the gospel. One thing's always involved interaction with an unbeliever. We have to have interaction with unbelievers. That's how the gospel's propagated. Somebody did that for you. right? And for me, we have to have that interaction. We have to be a friend, we have to be a coworker, we have to be a teammate, we have to be a regular customer, we have to be an employee, an employer, we have to be something to unbelievers. We have to interact with them. Now here's the other ditch, and this is obvious. If the one is taking the doctrine of separation too far, the other is taking it not far enough, ignoring it, having no distinction, no practical distinction from the world. Okay, Um, this one is easier to fall into. All you got to do is stop mortifying the flesh. All you got to do is stop fighting spiritual warfare. You just got to you just got to stop. You just got to give in, give in to your old self. And you will not be distinct from the world. That's what the world's like. Okay. So if you're completely comfortable to the world, with the world, you've never had a time when you've you've been offensive to them, or they've been offensive to you, you're headed into this ditch. This is an old saw, but I still like it. If it were a crime to be a Christian, and I checked just before I got up here, it's not yet. It's kind of is, but not completely. If it were a crime to be a Christian, and it may soon be. This is why I'm doing First Peter with the team. Okay. If it were a crime to be a Christian would there be enough evidence to convict you? You've heard that before. For a crime to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, that that may help you understand where you are as far as the doctrine of separation goes, if there isn't any. If you have excessive interest in politics, in work, in sports, in food, all these things that maybe they're not sinful per se, but that's what consumes your interest. You're, You're not really thinking about spiritual things, about things that are eternal. If the eternal, if heaven never crosses your mind, you're not residing as aliens. You're just residing. Okay. Now we have churches near here, not too far from here, that have this really strong desire to be cool, right? To be comfortable for unbelievers, to be inoffensive. So we got to have really short talks. Maintain their attention. We've got to have our music to be as worldly as exciting as possible. We have lighting. We got to have stuff going on all the time that's interesting to unbelievers, right? we never want to be offensive to them. We're never going to teach on things that are too offensive. We're not really going to say what the Bible says about homosexuality, right, or about gender roles, male headship. Leave that one. Uh, and the gospel, hmm, pretty offensive. I think I'll leave it out. I, I heard you, you, Joel Osteen on the Larry King interview, if you've ever heard this, and Larry King says, do you ever call them sinners? I won't do my Joel Osteen impression. It's pretty good. Uh, but he says, I never thought of it. I guess I don't. You've never thought of it. You have a stadium. You want to fill the stadium. You've thought of it. You're not going to say it. You won't fill the stadium. right? It's offensive. The Gospel is offensive to unbelievers. Uh, the, the, well, I won't go into this. I'll skip that part. This is one of my favorite passages. This is 2 Corinthians two fifteen and 16. It has a lot to say about this topic. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. What does that mean? Well, I'm not going to uh, exegete that, but we're to be in the nostrils of unbelievers. Right? To those who are elect, when we are telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the smell of life. Right? And you you hear this sometimes when you, you hear someone who's who's been told the gospel. It doesn't always go this way. Sometimes they're just immediately overjoyed. But ultimately, anybody who is elect and they hear the gospel, finally that one time... It's the aroma of life. It's life. But to those who are not, it's the stench of death. It's a fearful reminder. You are going to face the judge of the universe for your sin. We're to be both of those things. We're to be a stench of death on believers. An aroma from death to death. Okay, So we have to be separate, but we have to be among them. We have to be salt and light in and among unbelievers. So we have to remain distinct. But we have to stay with them. I think this is what spiritual maturity is all about. Leaving behind the things that won't last beyond the recasting of this universe into the eternal state. You ultimately just don't care about them so much anymore. You may want to be informed and be a good steward or whatever is the thing that you need to do. Because there's some scriptural principle that applies to that, but ultimately, you're concerned about those things that will last forever: your eternal reward, your eternal relationships, okay? your relationship with your Lord. That's spiritual maturity. All right. So, a little bit of context then in First Peter. First Peter talked about last time. I'm sure you all remember everything I talked about last time. First Peter is a book that's written to persecuted believers, to suffering believers, it's to those who are about to undergo really severe persecution. And so he's offering them comfort. How would this offer comfort? Hey, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in eternity and past, you're not only chosen, but he determined that you're going to reside as aliens and be scattered among these people who are going to torture you and kill you for your faith. Is there comfort in that? 1 uh, Peter four nineteen says this. Therefore, those also this is four nineteen. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, who suffer according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. God is sovereign over your suffering. God is sovereign over that. He has determined. It. If God is good and God is sovereign, you're going to be fine. Right? You're going to be fine. Now, as a persecuted believer, you might suffer, you might be tortured, uh, you might have your job taken away, you might have your family taken away, you might be killed, and you know what? You're going to be fine. You're going to be just fine. Okay? That's the warning I'm trying to give to these, these teens, because I don't know what the future holds. But they may go through that, and they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Now, we go through, we don't suffer that kind of persecution yet, but we go through suffering, we go through hard times and sorrows and pain. You're gonna be fine. God is sovereign and He's good. You're fine. Right? As bad as it is, you'll be fine. So how do we live this out? A really quick, just, just a few, maybe a minute or two. Practical applications. I don't like to make up applications. So what does the scripture say? These are applications directly from 1 Peter and it's application of this idea of residing as aliens. Rejoice in trials, He says. You might be able to find these if you're fast, but probably not. I won't give you the verses. Rejoice in trials. Knowing perseverance through trial will be rewarded. If you're focused on eternal reward, you're residing here as an alien. This this place is temporary. Focused on your eternal reward, you can deal with temporal difficulty. Right? It doesn't last forever. Uh, Prepare your minds for action, he says. Think rightly. Don't think as the world thinks. Think on eternal things, things above. Fix your hope on Christ. Fix your hope on Christ. That's your only hope. It's not on president whomever. Right? Your hope is only on Christ. That is your only hope. Everybody else and everything else will let you down. Christ will never do that. That's your only hope. Be focused on Him. Solo Cristo, right? One of the solos of the Reformation. Do not conform to your former lusts. That's the practical distinction from the world. You don't conform to your former ways. You conform to the... The scriptural commands and principles. That's distinction. Realize your identity. He calls us chosen. He calls us royal. He calls us priestly. He calls us a people for God's own possession. God's people. We are distinct. Like, remember that the next time you're tempted to sin. That's not who you are. You are a people of God for God's own possession. Realize your purpose. We're to glorify Him. Uh, Peter puts it this way: We're to proclaim His excellencies. We're to proclaim the excellencies of God. We do that through words, proclaiming the excellency of God. The gospel proclaims his justice and his mercy and his love and his wisdom. We also do it through the way we act as his image bearers. We show wisdom in and of ourselves. We show love. We show kindness. And we're here for that, to proclaim his excellency. Again, keep your behavior excellent among unbelievers. So we have to have behavior among unbelievers and it has to be excellent. Be prepared to defend your faith gently and respectfully. Always be prepared to give an answer. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you. Why would you be surprised? You're living here as aliens. You don't belong here. These trials have been promised to you. But he does say, don't suffer at the hands of the world because you deserve it. And because you've done somebody wrong. You've done evil to someone. Don't suffer because of that or because you're meddling in the affairs of the world. Reside as aliens. And then remember, kind of ends with this, remember you're going to heaven soon. You're going to heaven soon. This place is fine. It's good. We have good times here. But you got to think of it as a staging ground, a rehearsal area, a practice field. This isn't the real thing. Okay, your life is there. Your eternal life is in heaven. So if you can live this out, you'll be residing as aliens, scattered throughout. I'm not sure all of us, but Bonner, Boundary, Kootenai counties that might capture most of us. All right. That's who we are. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, We love your word and we are are grateful that you have set us apart. It was a very high price that was paid that we could be set apart that we could live distinct lives that we would have the power to do that. We look forward to heaven. We understand the high price uh, for which heaven was bought for us. We look forward to that. May we live today as aliens, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.